Wednesday, April 25, 2018. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. We recently released our latest episode of The American Veteran, a compilation of video stories from around the veteran community. This one features a really great story on veterans that train for boxing up in Brooklyn at Gleason's Gym. Uh, Gleason's is pretty notorious in the boxing space, considered the cathedral of boxing. Uh, Lee Tyson and other greats uh, train there. They have a veterans program that, uh, that veterans at, the, at a local VA hospital, I believe in Manhattan, uh, can get cleared and Gleason's gives them the opportunity to, to, train, to, to train there uh, for free. Uh, very cool story. I'll actually be doing an audio story on the, in, a, in a few weeks. You can go to blogs.va.gov to check out that story and other stories featured in the American, in the American Veteran. Uh, there's a category called the American Veteran that you can watch past episodes at as well. This week's episode features Tim Kolzak. Tim Kolzak is the founder and creator over at The Veterans Project. It is a photo essay of sorts that where he falls around a certain veteran and gets to know them uh, and then features them on his blog to tell their story. It's a, it's a very cool project. Tim and I talk about the uh, creation of that project, um, how he went into the military not expecting to want to go into the military uh, and we all talk we also talk about the veteran space and how veterans sort of behave inside of it and sort of our uh, our our observations on that front so uh, really interesting conversation I'm, pr- I'm sure you're going to enjoy it here it is Tim Colzak with the veterans project able to use the VA home loan two years ago to buy our home with zero money down. I was amazed that there was so much in place to really help the veterans and the VA serves as that catalyst with all those resources. I assume you go, you could just simply go by Tim? Yes. Yeah. Yes, all Tim. Right. Yes. Uh, by the way, very powerful name you've got there too. Thank just you. To let you know. Thank yeah. you. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> Timothy James Lawson is the uh, is the the full name, and it it is a very strong name. Yes, um, it is. Uh, you are the founder of the Veterans. You call it the Vets Project or the Veterans Project? The Veterans Project. The Veterans the Project. Veterans. Yeah. Yes, sir. You just uh, you sh- you shortened it for for URL sake. Uh, well, yeah, because the domain was like ten thousand dollars, and I was like, oh, uh, no kidding. Probably not going to do that because Who? that makes no practical sense whatsoever. So is anybody I doing just, anything with that with that domain? No, of course not. Of course, it's not. yeah, it's owned by some like company in Mexico or something. So yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> man, people like I, I know like this used to be a lo- that used to be a lucrative business d- a decade ago because we really only used dot com dot org dot edu like the traditional stuff and so it was a big deal to get your url right but now with dot co dot us dot info dot, like like people can get dot whatever they want right, <laughs> you know? right. And, oh yeah it's not a big deal anymore at all yeah. actually yeah. so the you know people buying and whole and unless you've landed like some some celebrity or some like sports teams uh domain you're probably not not going to get paid right yeah absolutely. Uh, but but i digress uh tim we, we we start these interviews uh with the same uh same idea the one thing that all of us veterans have in common and that is the decision to join the united states military bring us back to that decision for you so i was actually uh 17 years old and it's kind of a funny discussion with my parents and I I don't know why I thought they had like some nest egg built up or, (laughs) or something for my college. I thought they were like hiding it in the background. So I remember coming to my dad and saying, Hey dad, um, what am I going to do for college? What do, what do we have set aside? And my dad looks at me and it gives me like the craziest look. Like I just stepped off of an alien planet and he's like college money. He's like, nah, we don't have any of that. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
so so that was pretty much the discussion that spawned my entrance into the United States Army. My dad says to me, "We don't, uh, yeah, we don't have any of that." And he says, "So you got one or two, two choices here." He said, "You can either aggregate a lot of uh, a lot of debt and uh, and build that up, which is always fun." Or you could do the honorable thing. And as soon as he said honorable thing, I was thinking, oh, no. (laughs) You know, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, Military City, USA. So there's always a very proud tradition there. And um, and my dad served in the United States Air Force for about 10 years, um, you know, and he was a quick riser in the ranks. He's very structured, very good at those things. I am not structured. I am not really the type uh, that wanted to join the military. In fact, I didn't. I kind of wanted to avoid it a little bit. So, um, you know, I guess that rebel spirit of an artist in in a way. um, But the military thing prevailed. And so I went down to the recruiter's office at 17 years old. And and, uh, just to kind of preface that, you know, this was 2005. So a bad year in Iraq. Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was a, I believe our first, one of our first surges going on over there. And, uh, you know, we were getting into some big time skirmishes. So my dad says to me, you know, you can do the honorable thing. And, you know, we found out the United States army was doing the most for, uh, college. Um, and so it was either kind of the air force or the, or the United States army for me. And the air force was like, please, you're lucky to join us. You know, we're not giving you anything. Right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. every, you know, in the army, need more ground pounders. And so, um, you know, I signed up for the army, Texas army national guard actually. And, and that's what set me on my path. Yeah. And, uh, and Going into the guard, I mean that's that's a bold move, by the way, in two thousand and five to decide to join the United States Army. But um, in yes. and, and you did, in fact, uh, with probably uh, the highest probability of the two thousands, did deploy in support of OIF. Is that right? Yes, I did. I deployed in two thousand nine. Um, I actually avoided it for about four years. Wow! So that's yeah, a, I know. that's actually that's, pretty incredible. It is pretty incredible. Well, what happened was is I just. I don't know if um, my units, if if my units kept mixing up my paperwork or what, but I was I was transferred from unit to unit because I was going to college, so I was transferred from gotcha. a San Antonio unit to a Dallas unit, and then um, it ended up about halfway through my college career. I was playing baseball in college, and about halfway through. I went home on a uh, vacation, and I'm actually in Phoenix, like with my aunt and uncle. And I got a call uh, from you know third of the one four one infantry, which was a unit I wasn't even in, but they were like, "Yeah, we picked up your uh, we picked up your rights," and uh, you know I'll never forget that call. And they said, "You know, we're going to Iraq." So um, actually I was pretty fortunate though, because I remember those guys coming back in like Oh six, uh, when I was in college and I showed up to drill and you could just tell they'd been through a lot. You know, I, I think everybody picked up their CIB, their combat infantry badge, uh, you know, probably like two days in country, you know, on that deployment, right. you know, every, pretty much everybody in the entire unit. So they lost a few guys, uh, it was a really tough deployment. I mean, you know, they were doing a lot of patrols around Baghdad. And, you know, back in 05, at the time they deployed, you know, they were, you know, they were in firefights pretty much almost every day. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a pretty heavy thing. So I was I was fortunate to go at a later date. And I say fortunate because I understand the serious reality of warfare and the fact that it's not pretty. So um, I was fortunate to go at a later time. And and, and when I did go, um, it it was one of the best experiences for me as far as uh, transformative and and, uh, maturing and growing me. So I'm definitely glad I went. But at the time, it was kind of like, Oh, great. Here we go. You know, it's, uh, you know, kind of thought I was going to make it through that career and, and, and never deploy. And, you know, it's funny at the time is I was kind of upset, but when I turn back and look at it, it I mean, it, it's one of the things that makes me able to do this project. So yeah. I can't imagine having not gone over now. Uh, yeah. Tell me, uh, tell me about a great leader or a close friend that you had while you were in. You can choose either one, but tell me about that person. So for me, that would be Staff Sergeant 
Carter Chick. Uh, he was my best friend in my unit in, in the way of a leader. He was incredible. He just really took us under his wing and understood the dynamics of leadership and how not to, you know, in a sense, power trip, but to treat those younger soldiers under him um, like an equal as much as he could up until the point where he had to be, you know, that that kind of butt kicker type. Um, but he, he had been in the Marine Corps before he was in the army. Um, and then, so, so the deployment that I went on with him was like his fifth deployment overseas. And his Holy first deploy- smokes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so his first deployment had been to actually to Somalia, um, to, to Mogadishu. He deployed with the Marines there. Um, you know, if, for those that kind of understand the dynamic of Mogadishu at the time, it was when the Marines there it was actually somewhat peaceful. And then the Marines left and that kind of left a vacuum. And then that's when the whole Black Hawk Down thing happened. But he had actually been in there as a part of Operation Restore Hope um, and, and deployed there. That was his first deployment. And then I think f- uh, four deployments to Iraq. So he'd seen a lot of stuff. He lost a lot of Marines and, um, but his leadership was impeccable. It, it was, it was quite the model. And, uh, about three years ago, after I did a project on him, I went and covered him for the veterans project about three years ago, he took his own life. So, uh, that was, that was a major loss for me because, he had shown me what true leadership looked like. And in the end, his demons kind of hunted him down and, um, and we, and we lost that battle. So that's too bad, but he, he made a huge mark in my life. So I'm thankful for him most of all. Yeah. Um, so how long, uh, so you deployed in 2009, how long was your deployment? Nine months. Okay. And then yes. h- how long after your return did you transition out? I was actually, I headed back in, like I said, I, I came back and I was out probably within six months. I mean, my the end of my contract came up soon after that. So I got out right away because I'd always kind of been on the way out. I wanted those uh, college benefits. I really wanted to finish college and then go on to my master's. So that was the goal. So yeah, it was about a six month transition. Then I was done. Yeah, where where were you going to college when you deployed? I was at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, which is a mouthful. We kind of call it SAGU, but it's uh, south of Dallas by about thirty minutes in a town called Waxahachie. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I went there for digital media. Okay. Um, so then, what? Uh, we'll just, we'll get in. We'll start getting into the vets project, uh, or the veterans project. I'm sorry. Um, what? What inspired? Um, I mean, I've I've read a little bit on on your website, but for the audience's sake, tell us about the inspiration behind this project. Well, the the fact is, is that it was kind of an interesting dynamic. I I went on to my master's at UT Dallas, and I was getting it in emerging media and communication, which is essentially the first ever pilot program for social media master's degree. So. I tell people all the time, I got my master's in Facebook. So, <laughs> But, um, you know, it's actually been extremely helpful in my work and what I do, of course. Um, but I was about halfway through, and I had this professor that was from Cal Berkeley. She had actually been a Cal Berkeley grad back in the Vietnam era. And she pulled me into her office one day. It was really interesting. She was a photography professor. And you got to understand, I'll... I'll preface this by saying that I had never picked up a camera before my master's degree. So I'm taking these master's level classes. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah, they kind of thought I was crazy for being in those courses. You know, they were trying to encourage me to take bachelor's level, but I knew those wouldn't, you know, go towards my master's. So I decided to try them out and actually did really well. Uh, but you know, I think she thought I was a little crazy for trying master's classes at first, but she was very encouraging and, uh, she, she pulled me into her office one day. It was really kind of a weird conversation, but she said, you know, I, she began by telling me that she had been one of the lead protesters in the Vietnam war. And she said, you know, I, I, I did a lot of things to those guys that I really regret. You know, I spit on them. I, I threw things, I, you know, I, I, you know, hurled insults, you know, and, and she said it was just a really awful time in America. And I'm very, uh, I regret that. And she says, so I just want to, I feel like I can help you 
do something interesting with your photography, you know, with the, with the, with your photography courses. And she said, I, I think that you should photograph and document veterans. And I said, oh, you know, I, I, I kind of at the time I, I wasn't I felt like I was being pigeonholed. I thought she yeah. was basically saying to me, like, oh, you're a veteran and you're not that good of a photographer. So you can only photograph veterans. Right. Uh, so at the time, I was kind of felt like I was being pigeonholed. I was a little upset. I left her office in a bit of a rush. And I came back a couple of days later and I thought, you know what? I'll give it a try. Why not? So it, I really kind of stepped out of that whole veteran space. And I really just wanted to be a civilian and enjoy my master's and finish that up. And, and I hadn't really thought about a lot of, you know, a lot of veteran issues. And so I stepped back into the space about, you know, like I said, after about four years of being out of it, and all, all of a sudden I start capturing these guys' stories. I told four stories from my capstone project, and it was just the most transformative process I, I am sitting down with these guys and I'm hearing all these issues that I didn't realize um, in reintegration, I guess, because I didn't feel a lot of those things. But then I realized that there were a lot more issues than I had originally thought. And uh, it was a very powerful project. And at the end, when I got when I uh, finished my capstone, I was really transformed by the whole process. Uh, it was incredible. And I knew that this was going to be something I had to continue on for the, you know, for the rest of my life. I felt like it was that important because I knew that there would continue to be wars. And, um, I don't know what the exact figure is on how many veterans there are. Um, I think it was something like 6 million or something like that. But, um, I knew that I had to tell those stories because of those first photo essays that I did. Um, and I've never, it's it's been one of the the best thing that's ever happened to me uh, since I did start that. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've 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 uh, covered a couple uh, veterans that I'm very familiar with. Um, Nate Boyer, who's who's also been on this podcast. Tim Kennedy, who uh, I worked with a couple times when I was doing the Veteran Empire podcast, and uh, a few other familiar faces that uh, that I that I've seen around. How do you how do you connect with these veterans and uh, and decide to to feature them on your project? It was actually a pretty it, – it's kind of a networking thing. Uh, you know, I, I'll have someone bring them up. And, and in the early days, you know, Tim Kennedy was one of my – was really my first uh, big-name veteran that I covered. That was a couple years back. And I remember someone I, – I told someone, I need to cover Tim Kennedy. And, you know, he's close by in Austin, Texas. And yeah. I told my buddy, and he's like, dude, just send him an email. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, because that'll work. You know, <laughs> I'm like, this is a guy that I've been watching in the UFC fight. And, it, one and of my... it does work. Yeah, and it did work. Yeah. Like, I, sent, I sent him this email, and he got back to me, like, one word reply, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So he, it was. A, I was amazed, man. That's another thing that I've been impressed with so much in covering guys like Tim and Nate is, you know, Nate's one of my best friends now, and, and uh, I see him quite a bit. Uh, but Tim and, and Nate are both so extremely humble, um, and they really live out that ethos of the Green Beret, and it's yeah. just very impressive. So any one of those guys that I've dealt with um, in those, I guess you would say, upper echelons you know of like celebrity veteran um types it's i've been so impressed with a lot of their attitudes they've been able to maintain that humility um and it's it's been pretty incredible so it's really just been you know it really was just a simple email to tim now the project has grown enough to the point where people will introduce us to each other and it's gonna like oh yeah i'd love to be a part of the veterans project but before that it was just you know, simply hitting the ground, finding their emails, finding their contacts, you know, finding a mutual friend. And and then I was able to do it. And like I said, I was kind of in a good space being out of the veterinary, you know, uh, sphere for like four years. So now I wasn't really this is going to sound bad, but I wasn't really in awe of any of these guys. You know, I'd been out in the civilian world for so long and people say, hey, you need to cover this guy. Oh, my gosh. You know, he's amazing. And I was like. I, honestly, man, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't even know who that is. So, yeah. you know, and, and then I'd reach out and, you know, and, and, uh, they were actually really, uh, 
amazing person to cover. So it's been it's been an incredible process, and and actually the network is really strong. So. Um, and it's pretty small, so you're you're able to find those connecting points pretty easily. You know, one thing that I um, that I've really enjoyed about the veteran space, and one of the reasons why I've been successful in it is, veterans are just down to support and help other veterans, and that's that is one thing that I will always give the veteran community credit for is is. I had the same experience with Tim Kennedy. I was like, I, I want to interview this guy, and let's just see what happens. And sure enough, he, he replied yes to an email, and that's awesome, uh, you know. And then you know, and then it happens. And um, it the veteran community has been very, um, very rarely have I ever gotten someone to, to either say no or that they're not interested. Right? It's, right. it's it's usually a yes or I don't think I can make that work or at the very least if they can't make it happen they introduce me to someone that think that is equally as uh is important or equally as valuable into contributing. And so um that's one thing that, that the veteran community does does really well on. Um that's you, an interesting point. I don't want to lose that point there because I think that's um, what you were saying right there. Even with the veterans that I've covered or that I've tried to cover that are kind of in, you know, like that celebrity space, I've even the ones that haven't wanted that have not wanted to be covered. It's usually been an issue of humility where they're like, I don't really think my story is that special. Yeah. Or I just don't really want to be a part of the project at the time because it's a lot for me to open up my life. And, you know, it's kind of an emotional process for me. And and it's so it's always like prefaced by humility, which is pretty cool in and of itself. And, Tim, to tell you the truth, when I started this project, I was getting about an 85 percent rejection rate. Oh, it was wow. a lot of it was a lot of guys saying. No, I, I don't really. You know, I don't want to be followed around with a camera, and, and they didn't really get it. You know, they didn't, and, and it was all out of humility. So it was actually pretty. Even the rejections are kind of usually for a good reason. Um, you know, and and many times I have to tell them, "Hey, man, it's not a big deal." You know, it, I I or I understand that it's a big deal, but it's imperative that we get these stories out there as a civilian bridge builder so we can help civilians understand what it is that we're going through, the um, issues that we're overcoming, and in just showing the veteran space for what it is. We're, there's a lot of success um, out there in this, in this space, and so I want to show civilians that, and that's really the goal of what I'm doing. Um, and so it's, it's really a powerful process, even the rejections – are usually for a very good reason. Yeah, and I, you know, we we do um, a post every day on our blog and social media called Veteran of the Day, um, and it's it's just really it's a simple, it's a short write up and a, and a graphic that we throw together with you know like almost like a collage of photos, and and it's ama- it, it's it's amazing to me how many veterans decline being featured or on as veteran of the day at, for, for the same reasons, right? For the like, Oh, like I'm not that big of a deal. I'm sure you can find a more deserving veteran. And I'm like, it, that's not the point of it. Like this isn't the point of veteran of the day is not to find the most deserving veteran every day, right? It's, <laughs> it's to, it's to recognize and acknowledge someone's service and, 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 Right, honoring that, and and we literally right. do 365 of these each year, right? So, like, we need, you know, there's gonna be a wide range, and we've done everything from Medal of Honor recipients all the way to people that served four years stateside, you know, you know, right. very simple service, and uh, you know, the the point isn't to find like the the most dessert because goodness, we're never gonna find that, right? If we did, right. I would just be I would just be publishing Medal of Honor citations, right? That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it would be very limited. There would not be 365 a year. Exactly. Like five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and veterans do get very, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. There, there's a there's an interesting balance. I'd like to hear your perspective on this. There's an interesting balance in the veteran space, I think, between people who don't think that their story is good enough or important enough to be told when it is, and people who what's the right way to put this don't realize that their story is very similar to others and wonder why they're not getting more spotlight 
So right, in, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not. To, I'm not trying to insult anybody by saying that their story is not worth telling. But I've definitely, and, and not just in my current capacity, but in since I've been out of the military, have have met you know hundreds of veterans that are like, oh, I'm trying to motivate veterans, and I'm trying to be an inspiration. Like you know, like I'm I'm, I'm getting a hold of these people, and like no one's really catching on. It's like, yeah, but you're you're one of like hundreds of people that are doing the same thing, right? Like you're marketing a story. Um, and, and so there's, there's an interesting balance, uh, between those two of, of veterans that are, that are really trying to push their story and not really understanding the new, like where to, like the nuances of their story to highlight, to get that. And then the veterans that are, um, that are just as deserving that are like, no, I, I, I don't think I'm that big of a deal. It's like, well, you, you have three bronze stars. I think, I think that you, there's a, there's, there's a story to be told somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, I guess, Tim, that you could just always, you know, take those other veterans and just point them back to a, to a uh, World War Two vet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like, hey, man, listen, your stories, your stories are great. And I understand what you're saying. Like, that's a very, that's a very tough thing, because a lot of veterans, uh, you know, from some of these units have had some of the same experiences. I think the intrinsic problem with that is going on and trying to just motivate to motivate. It's like, what are you doing to motivate them? Right, right. Do you own a company that's successful? Are you trying to motivate through uh, a motivational company or are you actually motivating through your work ethic? And I think that goes back to the leadership model of leading from the front, you know, and showing people that you're actually doing incredible things out in the civilian space. Um, and, and, and also that maybe that, you know, your, your uh, combat experiences are unique, but you know, th- those aren't your best days. Your best days are ahead of you. And, and I think that, you know, showing people through your own leadership model of, of owning a successful company, let's take, for example, a Nate Boyer, he's not going out there and motivating just to motivate. He's right. going out there and actually he's acting in movies. He's in Den of Thieves, um, you know, in, in 12 Strong for a little bit. And he's doing things besides just trying to motivate. And, and he started that organization, MVP. And he goes up Kilimanjaro every year with Waterboys and Chris Long. And they're doing incredible things in the community that are actually purposeful. And those things are inspiring others to do big things. Tim Kennedy, same thing, owns personal protection companies, showing how, you know, sheepdog response, showing others how to protect themselves. Those are inspirational things. Now, starting a company to inspire and motivate, well, I'm just going to be a motivational speaker. Well, why should I pay attention to your life? You know, what what about <laughs> you in continuing your life past your combat experiences will inspire others? You know, yeah. that that's the biggest deal, I think, really. Yeah, I think that um, uh, and I promise we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, your, <laughs> your no, yeah, no, no yeah. but I, I always find these conversations to be I mo- like these the discussions. Mo- yeah, yes. I think uh, and you're and you're right. I think that there is a. Um, uh, you know, when we've reached a, like we've reached mass, uh, mass capacity on, uh, on motivational speakers, right. In the veteran space, like we've definitely in general, right. But, but it's the, um, yeah, your, your recovery from your, from your experience is motivating, but the real driver behind getting behind people listening and being inspired to take action on whatever's holding them back will be what the next step you took after recovery. And I think that's something that is often missing in the, when you're telling a story of any veteran, whether they're a combat veteran or not, like, you, you know, we, we have, uh, there's combat veterans that, that were injured. It came back, they recovered from injury and they did things. We have you have guys that, um, that didn't deploy, but they dealt, they, you know, had some other traumatic, traumatic experience, other emotional crisis. And, you know, they were able to escape that and move on and do great things. But it's that, you're right. It's that follow on action that is truly the motivator it's you know the the recovery is one the recovery is assurance that okay we can get through this but the real driver behind getting people to listen to your story and be motivated from it is what are you doing right now what are the things you're accomplishing because you're able to recover 
Absolutely. And Tim, I'd like to take that a a level deeper even. I think that this kind of stems from an issue that I get from my World War II veterans all the time when I ask them about the question of if you could fix anything within the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, there's one issue that you could see with us. And you say, you know, a lot of those World War II veterans say the same thing. Hey, it's the same issue that your culture is having, and it's one of entitlement, right? Yeah. Um, that's a difficult conversation to have with a lot of guys. But, we're, you know, the, I think we could take the greatest example from men who did not seek that type of celebrity. You know, I, I had a Iwo Jima veteran I covered named Paul Merriman. He went on to own a $246 million company that he bought out of debt. I mean, it was $100,000 in debt. He bought it from the founder of GE, who was his boss. Um, And he bought it for a dollar. And (laughs) yeah, he had two employees. So he moves down from Pittsburgh to Houston, Texas, goes on to own this company and turns it into a $246 million company called Hisco, Houston Industrial Supply, in 48 states and like two different countries. And he left a legacy, you know, but he he told me flat out, like, I don't really understand the attitude that says come back and, you know, and 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 brag about those times in combat. Well, he said, when I came back, I didn't even want to talk about my combat, he said, because if I'm talking about my combat, the guy next to me was like, oh, that's cool. I was in the Battle of the Bulge (laughs) or the, the guy next to him is like, yeah, I got shot down over Italy. You know, like he said, so it's like this, like for me, when we got back, we had all been to war, you know, so nobody's bragging to each other like, hey, these are my experiences. And honestly, everybody was just trying to put that behind them. It was a very dark, you know, and and harsh time in our life. He said, you got to realize like this whole dressed up narrative of World War Two, he said, it's beautiful in a way, and I'm glad that we had the support. But he said, nobody really knows what warfare is like unless they've been there. And he said, and I remember being on the shores of Iwo Jima, and I turned to the right of me, and it's pink mist. I turned to the left of me, and a guy's gone and blown out of his foxhole. He said, that was the reality of warfare to me. So it's yeah. nothing for me to glorify. He said, it was awful. I didn't even know most of the guys I served with because they were gone too soon. So he said that that that's the complexity of you guys' issues when you're coming back is that you should be proud of your service, but expecting a story out of it or expecting people to hand you something because of that service, that's the total wrong attitude, not what made us good at what we did. Um, you know, yeah. humility within military service is it's something you have to practice in order to be a successful soldier, Marine, sailor, airman. And so when you get out, that doesn't change. You don't get out and go, well, now it's my time to be cocky. You know, like, you know, you you continue on. And that's what made you a good soldier is going to also make you very, you know, successful in your sphere. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree uh, with all of that. Um, uh, Tim, I think I think we may have left a, a small gap um, in describing the Veterans Project. We sort of talked about the inspiration. <laughs> we've talked about um, sort of your approach to it. But I think there is a gap on what exactly it is you are featuring um, and how you are telling these stories. So if you can describe sort of the creative process and what the end user is getting when you featured a veteran. Absolutely. Uh, so... The Veterans Project is a comprehensive photographic essay where I cover veterans from Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Korean War, World War II, going back all the way. So my veteran currently up on the blog right now, I've got two veterans running, actually. I've got a British Army veteran. Um, You know, and let me say that this is a global project. This is not just a... Uh, project that is for the United States of America. It's for all our brothers in arms that have fought in uh, service on, again, on the war on terror. Um, and also, I, w- I would be honest to say I would cover any of our British veterans from World War II. Uh, there aren't too many alive, um, as well as our Australian brothers in Vietnam, whatever. But it's a global project. Um, so I-, I follow these guys around for a day, two days, sometimes three days, uh, it took me three days to cover Rudy Reyes because he's, uh, I don't know if you know him from generation kill, but he's such a dynamic yeah. figure. Uh, it took me like three days to capture 
who he was. Um, and I still don't know if I captured it, but, um, you know, it's, it's the dynamic of tone of following these guys around and kind of living that life with them and seeing what they're doing in their community, photographing that, and then asking about 40, 40 to 45 questions about not only their service, but most of the time the reintegrative aspect is the most important to get to for me so i i cover those guys in a show and we talk about reintegration and we talk about some of their struggles and we talk about uh what they're doing now in order to help those struggles uh and whatever they're doing to help out in the world nowadays so for me it's it's more of a reintegrative project we do talk about the time in combat and understandably with the world war ii vietnam guys that's a very big part of the project because they spend a lot of time over there uh, but uh, it's more about the reintegration side of things. And it's a civilian bridge builder in a way because I want to show civilians what it's like to come back um, and, and in in service of your nation and then, and then the difficulties in the transition. But also, uh, you know, again, what we've overcome within that uh, because I've got so many tremendous veterans who are doing big things now in the civilian sphere – and it's it's really it's emboldening. It's beautiful. It's rich. There's so much to these veterans. And uh, so I build that all into a blog. It's all black and white photos. And uh, I drop a photo every day on the Instagram, a photo or two. Um, I got two current, like I said, two current stories going on. British Army veteran who did a couple tours in Iraq and a tour in Helmand Province, Afghanistan. And then I've got one on there right now named Sam Smith that was a pilot for the 303rd Bomb Group, Hells Angels, um, ran 26 missions over Germany. And, um, you know, so there's so it's veterans from every war that I can possibly cover. And uh, I've been putting a special emphasis on the World War II guys lately, but I travel all around the country. I'm gone probably about three and a half weeks out of the month. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, so I'm I'm very fortunate to have a sponsor company, Nicole Warrior Rising, that helps sponsor this project, and they make it possible for me to basically do this on a salary and go around and tell these guys stories. So that's really what makes it a full-time project is going across the country and capturing these guys. And in May, I'm actually traveling to England um, to cover our British counterparts. Okay. So I'll be over there for about two and a half, three weeks capturing their stories. You know, one thing that I really like that you're taking a global perspective on this, because one thing, um, when I started getting into uh, like sui- like suicide prevention among veterans and, and that in that epidemic one thing that was that i think we were we were sort of missing and that we could really uh, contribute to the conversation is that like we're not the only country that this is an issue right and and veterans issues whether it's whether it's that one or any of them are are themes across all countries right every nation that has contributed to the wars that we've participated in um, are also experiencing these issues with their veteran population and it's silly to not hear those stories and it's silly to not see like to to learn what that experience is and how that community is handling it so uh, I, I commend you sir on on taking a global approach to this you know, interestingly enough, my first discovery of the whole suicide issue was from a British veteran. Yeah. Um, I, I watched a documentary on a guy named Jack Myzone, and there was a, this documentary made about him called Jack, a Soldier Store. And it was a BBC documentary made by one of my favorite documentary makers, Ben Anderson. And Ben's done a lot of stuff for HBO. Um, but he was doing this particular one for BBC, and it showed the dynamic of this young guy going off to combat and service. And if we, you know, if uh, you remember it, the British Army was really the first in when it came to Homeland Province in Afghanistan. They were over there before the American Marines came in, um, so they were experiencing very heavy losses. Um, I think he did three or four tours of Helmand Province. And uh, so he had a very, very um, – he had some very violent deployments. And I was always struck 
by how many guys he lost when he came back. I saw this guy's documentary. Uh, I think it was back in 2007, 2008. It was getting ready. I was gearing up to go to Iraq. And I remember I sent him a message on Facebook after I watched his documentary, and he actually got right back to me. And I said, man, we, dude, just wanted to tell you you're a tremendous warrior. I watched it. It was basically about how Jack had kind of a death wish his his unit was like thought he was crazy because he was charging off in the fields with this 249 <laughs> and just laying down suppressive fire at all hands this guy's like 65 230 it is a total stud you know and like meant for combat and then he comes back and he's getting in bar fights all the time and he's dealing with so some jail time and he's you know, and he's dealing with a British populace that didn't really understand why he went over there. And so there's this crazy dynamic. Interestingly enough, he's going to be the first veteran I cover when I go over to England. So I'm actually staying with him for a few days and telling his story. But trace that back eight, nine years ago when I didn't even have the Veterans Project. Um, and I'm realizing all these suicide issues exist Basically, based off of his story and watching some of his brothers and, and them coming back, and then you start hearing about the figures, you know, that kind of popular figure of 22 a day, you know, that you hear about yeah. all the time. And then I started seeing these things in the American population. So it was really actually, interestingly enough, the British plight uh, the, the, that brought it to my attention in the first place. Interesting. Um Earlier, you meant that you, um, when we were talking about getting access to some of these more well-known veterans, and after you work with them enough, you sort of stop being in awe of them, right? In the same way that maybe uh, other people may be based on who they are, what their story is. And um, I, I've definitely have gotten to a similar point where um you know anything short of uh, of a like a silver star recipient like i'm not i'm, I'm almost desensitized to right, right. It, for for current conflict veterans but i will say i cannot get enough and i'm sure you're the same way i cannot get enough of talking to vietnam and in, in world war ii veterans oh it's absolutely incredible yeah. I, I am mean in awe because you know, and I don't. I don't want to take away anything. Anything from any of the battles that current conflict veterans had to go through. I know there was, some, no, no. you know, uh, Fallujah and the rest of them were were, were very difficult. But um, I mean, when when I start hearing, like I remember, and and I remember when I was at um, when I was at the uh, cemetery on um, in Honolulu. Uh, I can't remember. It's it's affectionately called the Punch Bowl. I can't remember what the official name is, but it was, it was over there in Hawaii, and a lot of uh, you know, World War II veterans are, are buried there, and I remember meeting a World War II vet there, and I ca like I was like, "Oh, where, where'd you serve in the war?" And he was like, "Oh, you know, this and that, Normandy." And I was like, "You just casually dropped Normandy <laughs> at the end of that of that sentence, like, like." And I, in my head, I'm thinking, like, "Is there is there two Normandies? Is he like?" <laughs> Is he like he doesn't want me to know that it was the other Normandy? No, like he was like he was he stormed the beaches. And I was like, well, you casually dropped that, right? And 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 I think common. that yeah, and it's a common theme exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what makes and that's one thing that I think really um, really does help define them as the greatest generation and what makes them fascinating to talk to. It's absolutely incredible the humility that they show within that. I mean, I can't even imagine. If we had, you know, with with that issue of entitlement, if we'd partaken in some of those battles, you know, right. guys, you know, guys sitting on thrones and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't say that because like all of our guys are like that. But obviously that issue exists within the culture, you know, sure, so they're, sure. you know, it's 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 incredible. Like I said, my Iraq and Afghanistan guys, they do show a lot of humility, but there yeah. are those issues um, separately. But. The World War II, you know, I'm going to cover my first uh, Vietnam veteran coming up actually in South Carolina. I haven't covered any yet. And okay. uh, it's kind of been an issue of them wanting to tell their story. It's, it's yeah. very hard to find these guys. But these guys are starting to get to that age again. You know, we, we forget that for a long time the World War II guys weren't telling their stories. You know, I, I had one of those uh, – 
veterans who I covered who'd really never talked about his story the whole time. He was a Baton Death March veteran uh, named Alfred Hawes, and his brother had died in his arms in the camp like two weeks in, uh, and he ended up being there for almost four years, you know, beaten, tortured pretty much every day, um, watching his friends let off to be shot. Uh, they actually... The, when the bomb at Nagasaki landed, it actually blew him into a trench, the, the aftershock. Um, and he broke his arm in like 10 different places, and the Japanese sawed it off with a rusty saw. So he ended up being an amputee. Um, and when I went to go cover him, he was 101, living in a nursing home in Logan, New Mexico, on the Eastern Plains. Nothing around, just sleepy farming towns. Um, you know, you'd gone on to be a, like a part, like a, a forest firefighter, you know, one arm forest firefighter and, uh, just an impeccable history. But these Vietnam veterans, I'm really trying to get to them now because they, they haven't told their stories. And so this first guy I'm going to cover in South Carolina is a walking dead Marine one nine and, um, you know, experienced atrocious losses. In fact, if I'm remembering correctly, Walking Dead Marines had a highest casualty rate in Vietnam of any Marine unit in any war um, going back to World War One. So it's pretty incredible their losses they suffered. Um, but I'm, I'm go ahead. I, I do think it's important uh, before before I start getting the hate mail. Um, it, it is important to, to like we're not we're not uh, implying that this is a a general problem with current conflict veterans or recent conflict veterans it is a uh, it is a reputation that we have gained through unfortunate highlighting of of veterans that that behave that way oh absolutely right. it's, it's 100% a, it's, yeah. right it's a consequence of us being more vocal with more coverage right right and, absolutely and then to to follow up your like we haven't talked to a lot of or haven't heard a lot of the stories from Vietnam. I think this is one way that our generation is giving back to that generation in the way that you know Vietnam veterans were the ones that made sure that when the first deployments back from Iraq and Afghanistan in the early 2000s when they came back Vietnam veterans were the ones that made sure they were they came back with a warm welcome and and they're the reasons why we are in the states that we are of this appreciation for the military and thank you for your service and, and what, and I think that we are finally being able to give back to them by showing by almost two decades now of showing them it is possible to go through this experience, come back and share your story to a grateful nation. And I think they are finally getting the courage to do so. And I think that's the way that we've given back to the older generation. Absolutely. And you, and you, anytime I see a Vietnam veteran, I mean, I'm in absolute awe of those guys and I'm very quick to go shake their hand and, you know, give them the, you know, I guess stereotypical, thank you for your service. But more than that, for me as a storyteller, it's about getting their story out there so that we can expand these legacy pieces and show people the very real sacrifice that they went through um, and in and, and service of a nation that wasn't all that grateful at the time. So these men um, were incredible. They're incredible men. And like you said, they're making it they made it possible. And they showed us, hey, man, we're thankful for you guys, because I remember Bangor, Maine coming back into country from Iraq. And it was mostly Vietnam veterans there to thank me. Yeah. And and I was just in awe. I thought to myself. These guys didn't get that. I remember leaving for Iraq and having a guy shake my hand. He was a three. He'd done three tours of duty with the Marine Corps in Vietnam, and he said, "Are you going to go back to school when you get back?" I said, "Yes, sir. I'm going to finish my education." He said, "Good." I, he said, "I never had a chance to go get mine." He said, "I got deployed before I got to school, and then I was over there three tours. And when I got back, I was." so messed up that I didn't want to go to college anymore. I just kind of let my life, you know, I kind of let my life go at that point. He goes, I wish I hadn't have, but those tours were difficult. And I came back to a country that wasn't very grateful. So when you come back, make sure you finish your college. And um, <laughs> it was like this incredible experience though, where I'm shaking, you know, kind of that generation before me, they're, they're my, my brother in arms, though. So, you know, I'm shaking his hand. He's telling me, you know, it's 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 OK to come back and get your school done. You know, don't don't let whatever happens over there affect you so much that you don't come back here and do it. So 
I, I'm inspired by those guys. Yeah. They're absolutely incredible. And now we're getting these stories out about our current veterans, and it's it's so necessary. And like you said, the entitlement issue is very few and far between. You know, it's really just showing these stories. Um, and the more people you highlight, the more you're going to see humanity. And humanity is beautiful in a lot of parts. And some some parts there's that entitlement issue, but. Most of the time, I'm incredibly inspired by my fellow brothers in arms who are uh, out there now doing some big things, and uh, it's been absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. Tim, tell me, tell me about a, um, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. I'm actually really excited about now. This may be kind of uh selfish but my sponsor <laughs> i'm really excited about what they're doing they're helping me <laughs> you want to talk about entitlement <laughs> right they're amazing um, oh, i'm really funny. excited about this organization warrior rising they are uh making it possible for me to go out and do this in a full-time aspect and recruit other sponsorships uh going forward and um, they really made it able to made me able to to travel the country and, and do this uh, the right way and, and travel the globe because I'm going to England. So yeah. uh, they are a veteranpreneur funding company. They basically not just funding, but mentorship, and they're doing a lot of things for the veteran space. So I'm actually as a part of my sponsorship, I'm telling some of their veteran stories who are starting their own businesses. Because for me, this is a social action piece as well. I want to show people what we're doing in this space. And if I can do that to help others you know, with their businesses through my platforms, then that's an absolutely incredible way to do it. So for example, we've got a guy in our program named Dyson Hickel, uh, who is a veteranpreneur that started a mobile coffee company called the Java Can. So he sells these ammo cans with these like coffee pieces built on the inside. And then, you know, it makes it possible for you to travel with these pieces. It's a kind of an outdoor item and it's really cool. Uh, but he started this company through Warrior Rising. They gave him some capital at the beginning and um, mentorship. And they have these weekends where they bring veterans out to Salt Lake City where they're based out of and in these zero day weekends. And they give them mentorship from local business leaders. Um, and, and show them how to have the tools for success going forward. Because, you know, Tim, it's so important to have that practical application. You know, um, we can talk about, like you said, inspiration and motivating others. But what are you actually doing and how are you going to do those things? And, and so they make it possible for us to come back and start our own businesses and hopefully live out our dream, you know, because a lot of these a lot of I don't know about you, man, but I didn't want to step into the corporate space really. I didn't want to sit at a desk from nine to five. It wasn't really my thing. So I knew that, you know, having been in the army and, and always kind of being adventurous and getting out there, I wanted to be a photographer. I wanted to do something different with my life and leave a legacy. And so for me that was telling that's about telling stories, you know. And so um, Warrior Rising has made that possible for me. So it's owned by Green Beret, spent 15 years in the Special Forces, and I'm very grateful for them in uh, helping make this a uh, full-time venture. Because it was a full-time venture before, but obviously I had to search a little harder for the funding. So, right, right. you know, they've, they've made that possible for me to just kind of focus on my art. So I, I suppose that makes this uh, this last question a good one to, to wrap up on. If if people listening have a good recommendation for you or just want to connect, and, and what are what are you looking for in the veterans that you feature, and what are ways that people can connect with you? Um, so you can connect with me through thevetsproject.com. There's actually a contact form on there. It's T H E V E T S project dot com and you can connect with me there or the facebook the veterans project and the instagram is also the veterans project as far as what i'm looking for i'm just looking for 
um, more inspiration within our space. Um, I, I want to tell every story. Obviously, this is an art piece, so not everyone is, you know, successful business owner. But the important thing is that you're getting out there and you're trying to better yourself and you're trying to better the community. So those are some of the more powerful pieces, uh, specifically now kind of searching for the older generations, even though I'm covering Iraq, Afghanistan as well. Right. I started that out with Iraq, Afghanistan. I'm also looking for a World War II guys. But, Tim, before I go, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I'm also working on this, uh, the caregiver project. And I'm telling yes. these stories of these families um, you know, these families, gold star, blue star, silver star, white star families. And for those not familiar, gold star is killed in action. Silver star is wounded in action. Blue star is deployed. And then white star is uh, suicide. So I have actually the first veteran that I've covered, one of the veterans I covered that I mentioned, Staff Sergeant Chick, who is my favorite leader. He I told his story. And then about a year later, he took his own life. And then I actually went back and I covered his family for the caregiver project. And I, I told their story um, because those are the battles at home that we often don't hear about or see. It's important to tell those stories. So the caregiver project is something that I'm stepping up big time. And actually, the story I'm working on right now, not to go too long winded on you here, but is uh, Nate Boyer, his one of his best friends from 10th group. His name Bradley Keys, and he was killed in a in a halo jump. And so I told I'm I'm working on his wife's story, um, and her and, and his wife has a son with epilepsy and he and um, cerebral palsy. So I'm covering his. I'm showing what she's doing now that she's left by herself to take care of Ethan. And this incredible, uh, this incredible testament to strength, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely inspiring some of these families, what they've gone through and now are doing, you know, in that space uh, to, to, to really overcome and conquer some of the things that they've gone through. Because, they're, you know, where's the redemption in that? You know, you just lost your loved one overseas in combat, and now you're left with that. For the rest of your life so the battle really never stops for them and it was important for me to tell those stories as well wonderful uh tim Col kolzak yes yeah, yeah i yes. almost i almost see it you're right i, I almost complicated <laughs> it for no reason <laughs> it happened all the time man i still remember in college and like i'd be pitching it visiting you know parks i'd literally walk out to the mound and you know bite my lip you know like oh here we go like <laughs> now taking the mound Tim Kolchak be like, oh, <laughs> every single time. I think even my home announcer did that sometimes. I'm like, I've been the closer for two years, guys. You can't learn my name? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tim Kolchak of the Veterans Project. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your service to our country, and thank you for your continued service to veterans through your, through your project. Hey, Tim, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for doing this podcast. Uh, we need to get more stories out there, as you know, and, and you're one of those storytellers out there doing it the right way, so I appreciate that. Thank you. VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. And again, big thanks to Tim for joining me. TheVetsProject.com is where you can uh, where you can check it out. If you go there, you see Nate Boyer's big face staring back at you. Of course, many of you remember uh, Nate Boyer from being on the episode, he, being on Born the Battle not too long ago. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Calvin Pearl Titus, U.S. Army, rank of musician with Company E, 14th U.S. Infantry. Conflict is the China Relief Expedition, Year of Honor, 1900. Citation reads, Gallant and daring conduct in the presence of his colonel and other officers and enlisted men of his regiment was first to scale 
the wall of the city. We honor his service. That does it for another episode of Born to Battle. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody that is going into their podcatcher of choice, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and subscribing and leaving a rating and review. It helps us out, helps us reach more people and get these stories from these wonderful veterans out to a grander audience. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at D-E-P-T Vet Affairs for more stories and images from our community, as well as Facebook.com slash Veterans Affairs if Facebook is your social media of choice. If you have any questions you'd like to have addressed on the show, you can send them to newmedia at va.gov, or you can tweet at us using hashtag VA podcast at D-E-P-T Vet Affairs. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.